my heart will sing no other name, Jesus. Boy, that is my prayer. Um, I have to confess, my heart is often singing other things. And uh, I become distracted by those things and, and how I want my heart to sing no other name than that of, of Jesus. As I shared in the first service, that song has a particular uh, impact in my life. Uh, two years ago when my wife and I moved here from California after living there our whole lives, we picked up and, and moved here not knowing what God was leading us into, where we were going and on the first Sunday that we were in church, we sang that song, and my wife and I held hands with each other, and tears began to come down both of our faces as, I'll run into your arms, Lord. I have nowhere else to go but to your arms, so lead me and guide me and show me the way. Well, it's good to be back with you again. It feels a little bit like home. John uh, has been uh, taking the church here through this series in Psalms, and uh, he told me that you had, he had preached through the book of Samuel uh, in the fall of last year, and then in the beginning part of this year, and then was picking up on looking at some of the Psalms that David wrote uh, as he journeyed through life. And these Psalms are expressions of David's inner being. You saw what David was doing. You saw what was happening in his life. But the Psalms are an expression of what was going on inside while he was running life's race. And sometimes we're so busy running life's race that we don't pay attention to what's going on in the inside. So it's good to pause and to look and to reflect upon David's reflection so that we too might reflect. The Psalms talk about some of the struggles that David went through, and all of us have our times of struggle. And feel what David felt, wondering where God is, crying out to God, being honest with who we are, what we're feeling, what we know and what we don't know. Then the Psalms are filled with praises of God, declarations of who God is. David looked about upon creation as David experienced life as he encountered God his heart is filled with praise and how our hearts need to be filled with praise as we pause and look at creation as we pause and are grateful for the things that God has given to us we're oftentimes consumed by what we do not have rather than looking at what we do have know how we need to pause and reflect upon what we do have what gifts you have been given because everything that you possess is a gift from God. All good things come down from the heaven, the Father, where the Father of lights, when the Father of lights. And then the Psalms are reflections of David sitting with God and being with God. Observations that he has made as he has sat and looked at the world, looked at people, looked at life, and brought those to God and spent time with God and heard God speak to him in the stillness of his heart as he paused in silence. And oh, how we need to pause in silence in our lives and just listen for God, to look out upon the people of our lives and to hear what God is saying to us. Our God is a communicating God. He is not a God who is up there, out there somewhere, but a God who is ever-present with us. 
willing to share himself, wanting to share himself, to commune with us. Well, this morning we're going to look at Psalm 53. This is one of those psalms where David, I believe, has been observant of the world and has sat with God and wondered at what he is seeing and how it relates to the relationship with God. The psalmist says in in verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. If you need a Bible, you can just go ahead and raise your hand and they'll be more than happy to give you a Bible. Psalm 53, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's David's observations as he has looked at people's lives, as he has sat with God, that this is what God has reflected. It's foolishness to not believe in God. Now, as I was preparing the message, I thought I would look up and see if there were a list of Famous people who do not believe in God. People who are atheists. And I was fascinated that there were several websites that that listed people who do not believe in God that they called atheists. But in reading the things that these people said, one of the things I found that very few of them are truly atheists. Now, some of them may not follow God, but they don't know whether they believe in God or not, more than really not believing in God. In fact, I was only able to find a few who did not. A couple of them were, one was Daniel Radcliffe, the English actor who played the lead role in the movies Harry Potter, the Harry Potter series. And he says this, he says, I'm not religious, I'm an atheist. And a militant atheist when religion starts impacting on legislation. Well, his atheism is a belief system as well. And it's okay if his atheism is, is, is involved in legislation, but not those of us who believe having our beliefs impacting legislation. A second person that I found was, was Stephen Hawking, the, the famous scientist uh, whose fields include general relativity and quantum gravi- uh, gravity. He's a, just a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, he, he is confined to a wheelchair because of uh, some physical problems. Uh, he can hardly speak. He speaks actually through a machine, a fascinating individual. And he said this, he said, We are each free to believe what we want, And I believe that's true. We are each free to believe what we want. God has given us that freedom to believe what we want to believe. Then he goes on and says, And it is my view that the simplest explanation is there is no God. That's his belief. No one created the universe and no one directs our fate. That's his belief. This leads me to a profound realization. There is probably no heaven, no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe, and for that I am extremely grateful. I find that last sentence interesting. He says, we have this one life to appreciate the grand design. Question, who designed it? A design talks about a designer. He must have missed that. Or he wasn't thinking clearly about the words that he was using. The second is this point that he says, and for that I am extremely grateful. Well, who is he grateful to? Because gratefulness means that I am grateful to someone for something. He doesn't realize that he believes in God. At least he doesn't call him by that name. Anyway, We have that choice of believing in God or not. And there are many of those that don't believe in God. 
You may have friends who say, I don't believe in God. And David says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now the world oftentimes looks at us who, who are Christians, in fact the people in the days of Paul looked at those who were believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ and they called it foolishness and people still call the gospel foolishness. But the scriptures defines it as the wisdom of God. In fact, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To live in the place of fearing God, of living with a reverence and an awe and a wonder for God is the beginning of wisdom. That if you don't believe in God, you can't possess even the beginnings of wisdom. For the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now we don't have it in this psalm a particular evidence as to what led David to write this. There's no particular event that ties this psalm to David's life experience. But we do know that this psalm is very similar to Psalm 18. In fact, they are nearly identical. And so David even wrote Psalm 18 and Psalm 53 and just changed a small portion of them or maybe a worship leader in the temple, for these psalms were used in worship, maybe a worship leader somewhere along the line took the psalm and edited it for a particular reason, for a particular service of worship of God. It really doesn't matter. Because they both express a word from God for us. David says, The fool in his heart has the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The word fool here does not refer to someone with a low IQ. It does not refer to someone who has a mental challenge. The word fool in the scripture refers to someone who is, has a, a moral bankruptcy, a moral uh, impurity, not an intellectual incompetence. In the scripture, folly is a deliberate choice of action. The fool is a person who practices evil and stubbornly refuses to change. They have become hard-hearted. Pharaoh in Egypt was a man who was hard-hearted, who was a fool. Moses had come to speak on behalf of God to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt. And God had revealed himself time and time again to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh was hard-hearted. He would not see God. He would say, there is no God that can do these things. And he was a fool in doing so. For he and his people paid a great price. David says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It says at the end of that verse, they are corrupt and have committed abominable things. There is a wickedness, there is an evil in their lives. And they're not fools because, because or excuse me, they don't believe in God because they have an intellectual challenge, but they don't believe in God because they are foolish in their behavior. Their behavior affects their belief. David says, the heart, the fool has said in his heart, he doesn't say the fool has said in his head. The fool has said in his heart. It's not a rational decision made by the fool. It's not a reasoned decision. It's a decision that flows 
out of the heart. You know, in our culture, we think that if we can educate people, that if we can give people enough information, the right information, their behavior will change. The reality is that is not true. I hate to burst your bubble. We have one of the most highly educated people in the world, and yet we have a very high murder rate. We have one of the highest rate of of people going to college educations, and yet we have sexual assault on our college campuses. We We have spent millions and and billions of dollars, in fact, on educating people about smoking, that it causes cancer, and we have young people still picking up cigarettes. It's not a matter of mere information. It's not just in the head. There's a heart problem inside of the man, inside of men, inside of women, inside of humanity. We've been working on race since I was a young kid. The great society in the 1960s and the whole, you know, Uh, racial equality and it needs to be racial equality but we still have a racial problem we still have racism still resides in our heart education will not solve our problems information will not bring about the solution the problem is in the heart of man the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23 watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Life springs forth out of our heart, not just our head. How many of you have had a a rational understanding of something and then just did the opposite of what you knew in your head you were supposed to do? You knew you weren't supposed to commit adultery, but you did it. You knew you weren't supposed to lie. But you did it. What happened? The heart overrode what you knew in your head to be right. And so the heart and the head must work together. And there's the centrality of the heart. The heart is not the emotion, though, that we think so often in our culture. It's not merely emotion. Emotion is as much in the head as, as reason is. Our senses gain information and all of a sudden our our head begins to cast, to create emotions that we feel in our bodies. The heart is the very center of your being. It is the place of the will. It is the place of the conscience. It is the place of the uh, spirit. It is the place of the soul. It's the unseen part of who you are. It is not the, 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 the pump in your body that circulates your blood blood in the, when we're talking about it in relationship to the scripture it is the center of who you are you now we tend to think there are two driving forces in in humanity that's our reason and our emotions no but there's a third center and that's the soul that's the place of the spirit the place of your will And in that place, the unseen place, is the place where God comes and dwells. And it's also the place where the enemy has his advantage to come and to attack us as well. And so it's a place in which we are moved towards good or we're moved towards evil as we walk with God or we turn away from God. This is the part of you that connects to the spirit world. The wise sage says, watch over your heart with all diligence. Many have even abandoned the idea of the heart or the soul in our culture today. 
those that say there is no God has a heart problem. People can say there is no God, but that doesn't mean there is no God. You with me on that? We can say all kinds of things. And people can't escape God. They won't be able to say to God, God, you didn't give me a chance, but that's not true. In Psalm, 15, Psalm 19, it says, The heavens are telling the glory of God. All one needs to do is to walk out into creation. And creation is an opportunity to hear and to experience God. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. That no one is with excuse. That God has made Himself fully known. Stephen Hawking won't be able to stand before God on the day of judgment and say, you didn't give me a chance. God will be able to show him chance after chance after chance after chance that he gave him because our God is continually initiating the invitation towards himself to everyone in humanity. No man will have an excuse for not believing in God. Most of us here believe in God. Most of us here, we say our heart is turned towards God. We are not stated atheists, but so often we're atheists in the way that we live our lives. We're practical atheists. We act as though there is no God. The evil that still remains, resides within us, arises within us, and we follow that evil rather than following God in the days of our lives. Our will is still diminished, is still broken, and we fail to follow God at all times. The evil passions within us arise, and the temptations of the devil come to us, and rather than surrender to God, we surrender to those passions and we surrender to the devil. And so many ways we're practical atheists in the way in which we live. We're in a present battle with our heart. And the way through is in joining with God in the transformative work that He's doing in our heart. And it's a journey. It's a journey. The foolish man says in his heart, There is no God, they are corrupt. They have committed abominable injustices. There is no one, else, no, there is no one who does good. Then verses 2 and 3, it says, God has looked down from heaven and upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks for God. For everyone has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But we often live as there is no God. God comes down and He looks upon humanity. Now, I don't believe God comes down. I believe God is present everywhere. I believe He looks at all of us. And as He gazes upon us, He says, There is no one who does good. There's no one who seeks for God. If you're seeking for God, you know why you're seeking for God? Because He's seeking for you first. 
God is always the initiator. We are the responder. We are the responder of God's grace that He's continually pouring out upon us. And we respond to that that causes us then to seek Him. But we're really the responders of God's invitation to come and join our lives with Him. So God looks upon us and we're full of brokenness. We're full of sin. Now that doesn't sound very good. It sounds almost morbid. It sounds like, well, we were really bad people. And yes, we are. But there's good news in that us being bad people. We'll get to that a little bit later. I used to think I was a pretty good person. I used to think I was a pretty good Christian. I had my quiet time. I prayed. I went to small group. I went to church. I was even a pastor for a long time. And I used to think, wow, look at me. I'm I'm pretty good. I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. (coughs) Excuse me. But then I invited God as I journeyed with Him to begin to show me who I truly am. In some ways, I got tired of pretending that I was good. You ever get tired of pretending you're good? I said, God, show me. Show me my brokenness. Show me my weakness. Show me my sin. And God began to show me. And I began to see how, how deep and how dark my sin is. Now, it isn't necessarily expressed in an outward way, but in my heart, there are things that reside there that I wish were not there. And you say, well, aren't we supposed to to get better? Well, I'm not sure we can without God intervening and changing us from the inside out. Listen to what Paul says in, in in 1 Timothy chapter 15. He says this, he says, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Then he says, Among whom I am the first. He doesn't say, Of whom I was the first. He says, Of whom I am the first. Paul is saying, I am still the foremost of sinners. And that's the confession that should be in all of our lips. I am the foremost of sinners. I am still in my wretchedness. Oh, Paul cries out in Romans chapter 7. He says, I do the things I do not wish to do and I can't do the very things I want to do. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? He's in the midst of misfollowing Jesus Christ and yet he finds himself in this wretchedness and the only deliverance that he can find is in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit as he walks with him day by day. But that's who he says himself to be. We don't need to be afraid of our brokenness. We don't need to be afraid of our sin. In fact, we've got to be willing to embrace it. It's part of who you are. And if you don't embrace it, you're lying to yourself. You know, the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you don't embrace your brokenness, you can't love your neighbor's brokenness. The only way to love your neighbor's brokenness is to love your own brokenness. Because that's who you are and that's who they are. That's who we all are. 
And David says in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a willingness to say, Oh God, save me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. You can be in your sin and God will not despise you if all you do is come to Him. All you do is come back to Him, return to Him and say, Oh God, this is who I am. And He says, Yes, and I've sent my Son Jesus Christ for you. And you're forgiven. And how many times will He forgive us? Over and over and over again, as often as we come back and say, Oh God, look at me, a sinner, once again. That's the good news. That's the great news. Now, is there progress in the journey? I hope so. But sometimes it seems really slow. And I move forward and I move back. And I'm all over the road map. I'm a mess. But God still accepts me in my mess. And still loves me in my mess. That's wonderful news. It's wonderful news that I don't have to get myself right to be acceptable to God. He takes me as who I am. We must embrace who we are. I want to have a contrite heart. I want to truly see my brokenness. I want to know the corruption that is within me so that I can experience the fullness of who God is for me. And every time I repent, every time I turn back to God, it's an opportunity to experience His love, His grace in my life. I am in constant need of God in my life. I don't need God one time at the beginning of my relationship with Him when I say yes to Jesus Christ. I need Jesus Christ and His salvation and His grace every day of my life. Then it says in verses 4 and 5, Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge, who eat up my people as though they are bread, and have not called upon God. Those that do not call upon God, those that are foolish, they come and they, they eat up, try to eat up God's people, try to destroy God's people. How many times was Israel sitting in the place where the people, the enemies, were coming against them and trying and attempting to destroy them? And how often do we cry out to God and say, Oh God, when will this end? When will you deliver me? In verse 5, David says, There they were in great fear where no fear had been. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God, because, because God had rejected them. This is a story, of a picture, an image of, of what, what happens is they were without fear. Those that are foolish, those that don't believe in God, who come against the people of God, they were without fear. We can say what we want to say. We can do what we want to good do. But then guess what? God breaks in and God changes things. And it's they then that are set in fear. It is they then that are afraid and fallen and scattered and rejected. You know, we as Christians... We don't need to enter into the battles of the world in a worldly way. For our God, as the God did for Israel, will come 
and deliver us as he delivered them. The world will be set in order. The ways of life will be transformed into the ways of God in his time and in his way. But then verse 6, Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when God restores his captive people. David is looking into the future here and he's saying, Oh, oh, the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. Who is that? How does the salvation come? It comes through Jesus Christ. It comes to G- through Jesus Christ for us who restores his captive people. We are captive in sin. We are captive to the, to the ways of this world. But Jesus Christ comes to deliver us. A beginning of deliverance, a partial and middle deliverance, and then a final deliverance that we shall be like him just as he is because we shall see him face to face. There is a day, there is a salvation that is full and complete. A day when when my brokenness will end. A day when my sinfulness will be fully done away with. A day when I shall arise as Jesus Christ because I shall be like Him just as He is. And so it says, let Jacob rejoice. Let Christians rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Let Christians be glad. For there is a day of salvation. There is a day of deliverance from all of this around us. From the foolishness that those that believe that there is no God. From the power of sin that has control over our lives so much of the time. This emptiness, this brokenness, this sinfulness. That it sh- we shall be delivered from it fully and completely. But while we are here in this earth, let us not let us not hide who we are. Let us embrace who we are. You say, well, Bill, that's that's kind of morbid. My self-esteem is hurt when I don't do what I'm supposed to do. No, your self-esteem doesn't need to be hurt and it's not morbid because you have a Savior who's forgiven you at this very same time. I am a mess, but I am saved. I'm full of sin, but I'm full of forgiveness. I stand both in this mixture of who God has created me to be. You say, well, how can you be both? I don't know. That's the mystery. That's the mystery of God, the mystery of humanity. We can't understand ourselves fully and completely. So I can live with brokenness and I can live with joy. I can live with sorrow and I can live with gladness. I can live with mourning and I can live with celebration because both are a part of who I am and both are a part of the world in which we live. It is a trustworthy statement Paul says, deserving full acceptance that Christ came into world to save sinners. And he's in the journey that he's saving me. He's saving you. Transforming us, healing us, making us whole. Making us who God created us to be. 
There are fools in the world who don't believe in God. All of us are broken. But Christ has come to deliver us. Bring us into fullness of the life of Jesus Christ as we journey with Him. Let me encourage you this morning. I know most of you here believe in God. You would not be in the description of the foolish. But let me encourage you this morning who are believing in God that you also accept your brokenness, accept your sinfulness. Embrace your shame. Be honest in who you are because that is the beginning of the transformative work of God in your life. Those that have gone deep with God, those that know God more deeply in their lives are those also who know the depth of their sinfulness because they experience the grace of God because they're willing to embrace the brokenness of who they are. Don't pretend. Don't hide. Find your true self. Embrace it. And bring that true self into the life of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you as your people. And God, you call to, for us to respond to your voice. And so God, I invite you to come and to communicate to each person that you communicate to us congregationally. God, help us, not to be, help us not to be afraid. Help us to realize that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That no matter how broken we are, no matter how sinful we are, there is no condemnation from you. For your love is greater than our brokenness. So God, we this morning we bring together our brokenness and your love and we meld them together in the beautiful union of who we are in you. And God, we pray that you would do a transformative work in our heart, that God, you would continue to, to put to death the sin in our lives, that you continue to heal the broken places, the wounds that we've experienced. God, help us to put into place those things that, that open up the doors for the opportunity of your presence to work in us more fully and completely. Lord, I pray that you would bless these men and these women, these young men and, and young women, these boys, these girls. God, help us most of all to be honest with ourselves, honest with you, and honest with one another. Call us out of the bushes, O oh God, the bushes of hiding, pretending. 
Help us, O oh God, to take off the mask. We ask, O oh God, that you would change us from one glory to another glory in the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. For these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.